0: everyone and welcome to the health hub i'm kathy biasa your host and along with our producer alex diaz and our production assistant daniel Tursini, we would like to welcome you to the show good morning daniel and alex how are you guys doing
1: doing well
2: good morning uh, yeah i'm doing fine
0: it's such a great day today i even got up early and took the dog for a walk got some fresh air have you been outside at all just to get from the car into the studio
1: pretty much in my case
0: are you here all day today too?
1: Yeah, I have a late night meeting.
0: Oh, uh, but uh, well, hopefully you can get out and enjoy some of the sunshine today.
1: That's a good idea. Maybe I'll maybe I'll step outside for lunch today, or at least go yeah, for a walk. For it's a
0: really nice, and it's the nice weather has been so rare this last little bit. But uh, it's beautiful. Really nice out today. <laughs> So today's show is live. Our number is 416 245 1534. You can uh, call in if you have any questions for us or for our guest, Dr. Iva Lloyd, today. Um, and do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. That's our handle. Nice and easy for everybody. And uh, our email address is thh at radiomaria.ca. If you need any further information about shows or you have anything you'd like to um, discuss with us as well, please do. Do email us. We like to hear from you. And do subscribe to our podcasts. We are The Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundClouds, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can find our podcasts on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is uh, radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiase.com. And uh, all of our shows, live and taped, are flipped over for you, so you will find them in all the sites. Have a listen, especially during the summer months when things are a little quieter. We've had some great guests. And a lot of great information, Alex. Do you eat eggs?
1: Not as often as I would like.
0: You like them though, or just not a, a thing?
1: Um, when I was younger, I had some bad experiences with oh. o- overcooked eggs, and it put <coughs> me off for a while. But uh, I'm slowly getting getting into the uh, uh back into the back egg? into back into the back egg, into for sure. cracking. Huh?
0: Yeah, I love eggs. I think they are. Um, I think they're one of the most perfect foods out there. They're a great balance. People often ask me if they should be separating the whites from the yolks. And as with all food, the synergy of an egg is just, it's a beautiful thing. So I, I just wanted to um, go over some things about eggs to give you a better understanding of uh, the simple food. A large egg has approximately 71 calories, 5 grams of fat, and less than 1 gram of carbohydrates, and approximately 10 grams of very high-quality protein. And it, an egg has almost every nutrient that you need B vitamins, A, selenium, phosphorus, calcium, uh, just to name a few. And eggs are one of the few non-meat foods that contain vitamin D and vitamin B12. So I love them. I love eggs every way um, when you crack an egg. What's
1: your preference in terms of um, scrambled or? I actually
0: really like hard-boiled eggs. I find them very convenient. I like putting vinegar on them. Oh Yeah So salt and vinegar on my eggs I think they're kind of neat I've I,
1: enjoyed them in salads when it, Like you boil the egg And you just put them in, in Cut it up And put it, it into up, yeah.
0: salads Yeah, yeah. it's uh, the, I, we, had, we had eggs on Sunday we, My husband likes to do over easy Which I like too I also really like the the, um, the soft boiled eggs In the, the mm-hmm. actual shell I like that too I used to have those when I was a kid Not so much anymore um, But uh, I, I do enjoy eggs they, They've been given a bad rap Uh, So that's why I sort of wanted to to talk about them, because very recently someone asked me if they were allowed to have eggs on their diet and if uh, they should separate the yolk. So uh, there are two parts, as I just mentioned, the the white and the yolk. The white is called uh, the albumin. The egg white is actually a protective uh, cover to the yolk, and it does make up the majority of the egg's total weight. The yolk makes up about 30% of the egg's total weight and contains about 80% of the egg's total calories and contains almost all the fats in an egg. The yolk is the main source of the developing embryo, should the egg have been fertilized. So that's what the yolk is for. The egg whites are low in calories, they are low in fat, and they are the richer part of the protein of the egg. Uh, Egg yolks contain more vitamins and in larger quantities than in the egg whites. And uh, 90% of uh, the egg's calcium is found in the yolk. So that's an interesting little piece. 93% Um, ninety-three percent of the iron is in uh, the content is in the yolk, so uh, there really is a real n- n- synergy with an egg. There is really no need to separate it. People were afraid of the saturated fat and egg, and it's like anything. You don't if you if you eat and you rotate your food, and you are not eating two eggs every morning, everything is going to be fine. Rotating and your it food. depends
1: on how you prepare your eggs.
0: Well, it does. I mean, I am um, not going to get into. Um, You know, what cooking will do to some of the vitamins and nutrients. Like the soft-boiled egg would preserve a little bit more of some of the the nutrients than, you know, an all-out hard-boiled egg. But there's so many different ways, you know, and you can use them in recipes and so forth. But they're just, again, they're just a terrific food. Some interesting facts. uh, A brown versus a white shelled egg. Now, do you think one is more nutritious than the other?
1: I haven't thought about
2: that. I I don't think it is. I think it's... um, I I don't know. I I I'm gonna put my uh my chips in the uh, not all that different camp.
0: You're right, you're right. An eggshell color has nothing to do with the nutritional value of an egg. It's due to the breed of the hen that laid it. Hens with white feathers tend to lay white eggs, and hens with red feathers tend to lay brown eggs. Okay, so you knew that one. So all what? Right does the different color of yolk mean? So the more intense yellow versus the lighter yellow.
2: Uh, the age, I believe, of the egg, of memory serves, depending on the color determines how old or how long it's been since the egg was there. I, I, I'm trying to remember back to Homac <laughs> <laughs> because we actually did some stuff about having to do with eggs. But
0: That could be within the same egg, but if you're comparing a fresh egg to a fresh egg to a fresh egg... Um, the difference is the diet that the hen eats. Oh, okay. So a darker yolk uh, can signify that the egg was probably fed greens, green vegetables. A medium yolk, the diet of corn or alfalfa, and a light yolk could be the result of eating wheat and barley. Okay, interesting. All right? What I found uh, very interesting was that when you're making hard-boiled eggs, if you use fresh eggs, they tend to stick to the shell better or worse, whatever the way you want to go with it. It's harder to peel if right. you use a fresh egg. It's much better for you to use an egg that's uh, about a week old. <clears throat> the, the, the yolk or the white has sort of contracted a bit. Some carbon dioxide has escaped, and it makes it uh, much easier for you to peel
2: I also heard that you can determine the age of an egg depending on how well it floats. Uh, Like, if you put it in water, if it actually floats, or if it hits, uh, what is it, if it just sinks to the bottom, or if it only slightly... I didn't know that. No, apparently, like, uh... Uh, again, referencing back to egg, <laughs> there's, there, uh I can't remember the specifics about it, but yeah, uh, no. That, apparently that's a thing. I'll have to look it up to yeah, see. Yeah, we'll
0: take a look and see if that's another another quality of an egg. But I found it very interesting. I, I personally would have thought a fresher egg would have been easier to peel. When you put an egg in cold water after you hard boil it too, it makes it easier to peel. Mm. So there you go. Um, and I just wanted to give you my uh, quick and easy way to do hard-boiled eggs. I add the eggs to a pan, cover it with uh, water, room temperature water, bring it to a boil, and once that uh, water is boiling, I shut the water off, put the lid on, and leave it for 20 minutes, and the hard-boiled eggs come out good every time. So, my little tidbit on how to do an egg. Um, Today's guest, this is going to be a very interesting show. We're talking about the role of emotions in health and disease. And uh, I think you're going to find this extremely interesting. Iva Lloyd is a naturopathic doctor and registered polarity practitioner. We will ask her about that as well. In 2002, she founded Naturopathic Foundations, an integrative clinic with four naturopathic doctors and other alternative health care providers that blend naturopathic and energetic aspects of healthcare. Dr. Lloyd is currently president of the World Naturopathic Federation and is past chair of the Canadian Association of Naturopathic Doctors. Dr. Lloyd teaches part-time in the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, and she is the author of three books, Building a, Su- a Successful Naturopathic Practice, Messages from the Body, a Guide, to a Guide to the Energetics of Health, and The Energetics of Health and Naturopathic Assessment. Dr. Lloyd writes for various journals and gives seminars internationally on naturopathic medicine, the role of the mind in healing, and the energetics of health. Very interesting uh, lady. I think you'll be very, very interested in what she has to say. Our learning points today among many are how emotions can affect our health. Could some emotions be more harmful than others? And are we able to change our emotional patterns? And we will be back after a few short minutes. Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biassi. Welcome back, everybody. Our show today is live. You're welcome to call in at 416-245-1534. And again, follow us on our social sites. We are at the Health Hub RMC on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just before we introduce Dr. Lloyd, uh, Daniel, I did the Google. So here's what you were talking about. So you fill a bowl of cold water and you place the egg in the bowl. If they sink and they lay flat, they are fresh. If they are a few weeks old but still good, they'll stand on end. And if they float to the surface, they're no longer fresh. Mm. So thank you for bringing that up. Another good piece of information. No problem. Dr. Lloyd, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you for inviting me kathy
0: it 's a, a great topic. It was very interesting to me when uh, when we met uh, the the specialty that you have i don 't want to forget to ask you what a registered polarity practitioner is
3: So a polarity uh, therapy is a type of energetic body work that includes well the type of energy medicine that includes body work, nutrition and um, like lifestyle, exercise, and that sort of thing. And it's based on the fact that says that the body is always balanced so that an area of deficiency is always balanced with an area of excess somewhere else in the body. So it's unique in that it is about looking at the fact of how you shift energy within the body to get to a greater state of health um, versus other types of energy work, which are like Reiki, for example, Um, which is about providing additional energy for the body to shift.
0: You know, talking about energy work 10, 15 years ago was really kind of out there stuff, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And now it's really become mainstream, not as mainstream as in integrative health we would like, but definitely the wheels are turning with more allopathic scientists and practitioners that we are balls of energy and we need to be treated and talked to as such. Are you finding it a much easier practice now?
3: Um, yes, people are a lot more aware of it. There's probably about at least 50 to 60 different types of energetic therapies when you when you get into that. So it is quite, um, it has grown quite extensively. And a lot of people um, are seeking energy therapy, whether it be Reiki or polarity or... There's just so many other ones. So it is easier because people with social media, with everything else, people are just more aware of it as an option. When
0: it comes to emotions, is there a connection between energy and emotions and therefore energy, emotions and health?
3: So from an energetic point of view, um, energy medicine in general treats everything as a vibration. So everything is a, it has its own vibration, so every emotion, if we look at the emotions of fear, for example, versus anxiety versus um, love, they all have different energetic vibrations, and they will affect health according to that vibration so Um, that's the whole basis of energy medicine is whether or not we're looking at the physical body, the emotional body, the intellectual body, or even food, um, environmental toxins. It's all about an emotional pool and how that, whether it's coherent, whether it's in sync, whether it's in harmony, or whether it's in dysfunction for that individual. Are we talking about energy
0: frequencies? So, for instance, would um, a fear, emotion... Have a frequency of energy versus a, a happy emotion.
3: Everything has a frequency and a intensity and a vibration.
0: Now, are we trying even to even if have, you're looking
3: at food, for example,
0: are we right? trying to have a better, a, a, like a higher frequency, or does that not relevant in this case?
3: No, when it comes to emotions, you're looking at the fact of what I call the, the degree of honesty. So you are, the most, you are the most emotionally healthy and physically healthy, for example, when your subconscious equals your conscious, equals your, spoke, your spoken, equals actions. So it's about the, um, coherent, um, the coherency of it and the harmony of it, of whether or not it's in sync. So it's not... Like if you have a situation um, where, quote, you've been wronged or something and you're frustrated, then it is healthier for you to manifest that as frustration than for you to try and manifest that as, I'm okay, you know, nothing really happened. So it's, it's about not judging emotion and recognizing that all emotions are truthful and relevant to that individual. And it's about whether or not you actually treat them consistently with how you feel.
0: I have two points that have come up in my mind. First, let's talk about the direct impact of emotions on health. And then I want to talk to you, I hope I don't forget this question, about um, whether or not men have a harder time in this emotional sphere of health. But first of all, what can you draw connections to between emotions and health?
3: So everybody's story, whether it's their health or their life, makes sense. There is a logic. So the whole basis is that health and disease are logical and emotions are an integral part of that story. So each emotion is held differently in the body and in different parts of the body. So anger, for example, is held in the liver. Grief is held, um, and grief and sadness are held in the lungs. So it's about recognizing that the body is like, um, a cogwheel where you have the spiritual, the psychological, the functional, the structural, and they work as a unit. So you can't separate out the health of an individual from emotional health or functional health. It's, a, it's all one thing, and it's about seeing how it's working together as a unit.
0: So to the question to men, uh, about men, in the Western world, men are brought up to hide their emotions, suppress their emotions, act a certain way, far more, I think, than women. I, I could be wrong in that judgment. But do you find that the emotional health and the emotional, the connections to emotions, to health, is a greater issue with men?
3: No, I don't actually. I find the opposite. Really? And why is that? I think that because when, because it's about recognizing that the body makes sense. So when somebody comes in, for example, and we're going through the story, men tend to be more logical. So, and that's what I'm saying, everybody's story makes sense. When you're talking one-on-one with a person and they're going through, let's say they have hypertension and you're looking at the fact that they're going through a divorce or they're going through stress at work and that sort of thing, they will more, they can see the connection. And they say, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, so that makes sense, and it gives them a reason to say, yes, this it is. So they will, they're usually quicker to make the changes they have to make, so that they don't have those physical symptoms. So it's, it's, um, no, I don't find it all that men have a more difficult time, because because it really is about whether or not you see it as logical, and so they tend to move through the emotional. Um, um, process sometimes more efficiently. They will sometimes, like it's important to spend time in awareness so, you're, so that you are aware of the health, of the impact of your um, emotions on your health. So they will sometimes want to do that too quickly. But when it comes to, as soon as they get it, which, which, and it might be the people who I attract, but as soon as they get it, they tend to process it quite well.
0: So are there... Um one or two or are there emotions that are more harmful on health than others or is it all in how we handle them?
3: So it is how we handle them. So all emotions impact health, but I group emotions that impact health to the greatest degree in two, in two ways. One is emotions that block the flow of energy. So emotions such as despair, hopelessness, indecision, secrets, um, feeling trapped, or extreme fear. Anything that gets where the where the body is on hold, it's not making a decision. It doesn't know what to do. So that's one group that has a huge impact on health. The second one is unchecked emotions, such as anger or anxiety. So those tend to have the biggest um, impact. And it's about whether or not you're able to process the emotion or whether or not you're caught into the emotion. Are you
0: suggesting that people follow through and experience the emotions and then release
3: them? So the emotional process, I look at it from five points of view. So the first one is awareness. People need, people want to rush this part, but it really is about spending time understanding the impact of your life on your health. Seeing the connection to, you know, as soon as when you are faced with a person that bothers you, that there's anger, irritability, whatever the emotion is, that you have these symptoms. So awareness is a big part. The next one is looking at how do you react to it and understanding your reaction to it and making sure that your reaction is appropriate to that situation. So it's, so it's then about processing the whole situation and looking at, you know, do you distract from emotions and do you suppress them? You know, it's important to dissipate emotions, so I'll talk about that. And then the whole decision making process. And then once you process it's it looking at from a reflection point of view that says, now what are you going to do? So if you know that that's how you react to a situation, what are you going to change? Are you going to change your expectation? Are you going to change something about how you deal with that um, situation? So there is a process. And for a lot of people um, in our society, you thinking more so than feeling that a lot of people distract. So I will ask people, how do you deal with emotions? And most people will say, oh, I listen to music or I watch TV or so they're distracting themselves from feeling. And then if you do that often enough, then it it impacts your body. So it's important to dissipate emotions, which means you're expressing them either through short bursts of activity or through, you know, hitting a tennis ball against a wall. Um, Punching bags, I think, are a great thing in you know, workplaces and in in a home, um, yelling at somebody in their absence. Like, you have to have a way where you can actually feel the emotion you're feeling in a safe place and then dissipate it, find a way of getting rid of it.
0: When people come to see you, are they coming to deal with the emotions? Are they coming with a physical ailment and you are trying to make connections of their emotions to a disease or an issue that they're having?
3: Both, both. So um, I get a lot of referrals for people who have had emotional issues. Either they came physically first and then they found out there was an emotional part. So a lot of my referrals are people that know there's an emotional impact and they don't know how to deal with it. And then there's some people who come in who they think it's all physical. And then when we go through their story, because that's the whole basis of naturopathic is, how do we make sense of your life? How do we get so that there's what's called a coherent narrative, is that each person has to make sense in their life. And in doing so, then it's about bringing their awareness. And that's what I'm saying sometimes the first Um, step is just having people say, okay, pay attention to, you know, once we, let's say if someone has um, digestive issues, and we go through the diet, and we go through all the other factors, and they don't seem to be the important part, but when you chat with someone, you'll get an idea of their story, and you'll get an idea of the degree to which emotions play a role, and then it's having them be aware of, pay attention to whether or not, you know, when, under this situation, if this happens, right? So... So it's both, and, and it's about, from a naturopathic point of view of, you know, including it as part of the assessment, just like we would environmental toxins and food and lifestyle. You have to give it equal weighting, and for some people, it's a significant part, and for other people, you know, the environmental or their lifestyle is a bigger part, but it's about recognizing that it has to be part of the assessment. It has to be part of the equation in order for a person's whole life to make sense
0: hmm part of the intake, an actual part mm-hmm. of the intake. Okay, so what, just before we go to break, hopefully this isn't too big of a topic to tackle. We might have to broach it into the next segment. So what happens when a person is diagnosed and then emotions are brought up to the surface? So let's talk about a cancer diagnosis and all of the emotions that that can bring to a person. How do those emotions impact a person's progression to healing through treatment and, and everything that is encompassed in a protocol.
3: You bring up a very good um, question and one that has been studied and one of the things that um, research will show is that the impact that a diagnosis has on somebody will dramatically set the light will set the um, how well they do through that process. So if somebody gets a diagnosis of cancer, whether or not it's stage one or stage four, and their first impact and they get stuck in, I'm going to die, then they will have um, a worse outcome than somebody who says, okay, I'm going to fight this. What do I need to change? So it really does um, determine, like diagnosis of anything, whether it be diabetes, cancer, autoimmune. The way that you... Internalize, and how you feel about that diagnosis will determine whether or not you are using emotions to help the body heal, or you're using them for the body to freeze. And um, and and that is important for people to recognize is that often people will come in and they will have a diagnosis, and their emotional response is out of proportion to the severity of the diagnosis, uh, to the severity of the problem. And so sometimes. You can't change it. Sometimes because of a person's family history or their concerns, then they're stuck with that. But for a lot of people, it's about seeing where does that come from and can they get a different perspective? Because if you are emotionally, and that's why I talk about the emotions that affect people to the greatest degree are the ones that block energy. So if you think, okay, this is hopeless or now I'm going to die, then you're blocking the body's ability to heal. Very so interesting. It's It's okay to have that for a short period of time, but you have to be able to move through
0: that. I I was just going to ask that question, but let's take a quick break. I do want to come back to that uh, right after the break. I think it's an important piece to talk about. We'll be back in a couple of minutes.
4: Watching people drive by, T-Mac on the radio Got so much on your mind, nothing's really going right Looking for a ray of hope
0: are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Piasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're here talking with Dr. Iva Lloyd about the roles of emotion in health and disease Before the break, Dr. Lloyd, we were talking about uh, emotions that can circle within a diagnosis. And I I didn't want to cut you off on the last bit of your statement. Um, You can't help but be emotional and you can't, you know, when you're given a diagnosis in many situations, you can't control those emotions initially. What do you
3: do with them? Most important thing is, first of all, be aware of them, be aware. So the first thing with emotions is you need to feel them. You need to just look and say, okay. And then to look and say, okay, now I need to move through it, whether it be the emotion of a diagnosis or grief. Because there's nothing wrong with having that emotion and there's nothing wrong with being scared that you're going to die when you've been given that diagnosis. But then you need to say, okay, how do I process this and how do I move through this process? So it's then looking at your reaction and making sure... Like grief that has been studied as an emotional process, that you move through it and that you understand. So, when it comes to, let's say, a diagnosis, you want to look and say, okay, to what degree is this, um, like I've been given fourth stage and I'm told I have a week to live and I'm not going to go through it? Or is there, you know, or is the odds the fact that says that no, I can move through this? So, it is about bringing some logic to it. So it is about working with somebody who can process it, but there's lots of times people will be given a diagnosis and they get stuck in that diagnosis, and they don't move through the process so so it is about it is about yes, feel it, and that's the one thing about um, emotions and emotional health is it's not about judging the emotion as good or bad it's about recognizing the impact of that emotion on your on your health and then not getting stuck with it. And this is where psychological resiliency comes from that says, what is your tolerance for emotions? What is your ability to handle different emotional states and situations? So it's like when you have that, it's about working with someone to say, okay, this is how come I have this fear. And again, you're not going to take somebody who has a diagnosis and... Um, and let's say, for example, if somebody has a diagnosis of cancer and they are going to die, you still want them to die in a, say, in a um, sense of peace and grace. So then it's about transitioning that to looking at their life in a way of contentment, right? So it's about bringing some logic in and saying, where are you and what is the um, outlook that, you, that is possible for you? And looking for the highest, um, the highest one of health right? And so that's what I'm saying. So sometimes, no matter what, it's about processing it to a part that makes sense for, for you. And, and sometimes that is about being more content with dying. Sometimes that's about, no, this is a wake-up call. You need to fight this. You're going to be fine, right? So, so it, that's where you need to bring the logic in. You need to understand where it's coming from. And then you need to process it.
0: So no emotions are wrong. They're just, they just have to be dealt with.
3: No emotions are wrong. You can have, you can, you can be more emotional than, quote, you need to do because, than you need to be because of nutrient deficiencies or because of hormone imbalances or chronic dehydration or there's reasons why emotions can be more intense than they need to be in a person's life. But let's take hormone imbalances, like let's say for, for women. If someone comes to me, they're in perimenopause and their hormones are all over the place. I call hormone imbalances truth serum because it's never going to bring up an emotion that doesn't exist in you, but it's going to make it more severe, right? So you can modulate emotional, you can modulate your emotions, and you can um, help get so that your emotions are easier to manage. But the emotions that you have, um, by working on your resiliency, you can have. Um, more tolerance for emotions. You can deal with emotions better. But there's no bad emotion, right? That, because emotional health is about recognizing that the honesty. So um, if you take somebody who dislikes their life, they dislike their marriage, they dislike their job, for them to project that everything's great and I'm happy, that's not healthy,
4: mm-hmm.
3: right? So it is. you are the healthiest when what you are feeling matches, how, matches what you're saying and what you're doing. So if you are really, like if somebody comes and they're saying, I'm depressed, the key thing that you want to know is if you say, I like my job, I like my life, and I'm depressed, we're looking for a hormone imbalance. We're looking for nutrient issues. We're looking for wireless or other environmental factors. But so then from that point of view, there's a disconnect. But if you come and you say, you know, I'm I'm depressed, I don't like my life, I don't like my job, there's these factors, and this is why I'm, I'm depressed, then you're balanced. So then the whole idea is, okay, what are you going to change in your life so that you like it, right? So it's about looking, it's about making sense of it. It's not about judging it.
0: Are there specific steps that people can take to increase their emotional health?
3: First of all, when you look at, so when you look at emotional, so we would call it psychological resiliency. So. Part of that is, first of all, make sure you deal with emo- any um, nutrient imbalances, make sure you um, deal with you know blood sugar high and low blood sugar will cause emotional changes, um, wireless technology, and kids can have impact. so you look at all the external factors that are impact that impact emotions and you address those first. One of the things that um, even things that we have become um, unaware of now is that you will have better emotional health if you, if you have conversations with people one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Not mm. if you have tidbits of conversations through tweets and through messaging and stuff like that. So emotional health is based on partly communication skills. So if you want to have stronger emotional health, then um, when stressful situations come up, embrace them, don't avoid them work on your communication skills with people because part of emotional health is about reading people. It's about um, reading situations and understanding the impact for them. So social media has hurt, social media has impacted people's resiliency because we have conversations that we start today and we finish in three days and they're like all these tidbits and people get caught up in the snippets of other people's lives, which the mind then can't process. It's looking for the end of the story. So some of it is recognizing all of the stimuli that we expose the mind to. It has to process it. So it's being more conscious of um, what you expose your mind to. That's very interesting. So for, so for example, there's research that shows that kids that um, watch violent, um, participate in violent games, and and um, and that sort of thing, have a tendency to be more violent. Like we, you will mirror partly your experiences. So it is some of it is about being conscious making more conscious choices in your life, because the whole thing, if we go back to how we started about energy medicine and everything is energy, if you expose yourself to a lot of negativity you 're going to bring up emotions that are more negative in your life you 're going to start seeing life from a different we call them glasses, like you look at life from a different perspective, so part of being more emotionally healthy is about you know exp- you know Surrounding yourself with people who are more positive, who are more um, who who build you up versus break you down. You know, have a job that you like. Do things that you like in life. You know, listen to music or things that build you up versus you know, some people when they come in and and they are sad all the time then we'll put them on a news fast that says, Don't watch news for two weeks. You know, to see the impact, if we're looking at why you're sad and it's about all the terrible things that are happening in the world, then sometimes that's what they need to avoid. So it, it is about recognizing that, like everything, your, how you feel emotionally is a reflection of your whole life. And so it's looking at how, how your life, what you're doing in your life and how that's impacting you. What role do genetics
0: play in this aspect of health?
3: a little bit, learned behavior plays a bigger role. So there's a little bit of, but when we think of emotional health, we're looking more at learned behavior and modeling of behavior than we are genetics. You don't
0: call this into uh, some of your, your, your treatment plans at all, so you're specifically dealing with lifestyle approaches to dealing with emotions?
3: No, like if we're looking at learned behavior, so if you have anxious parents Then and you have you grew up where your parents are more anxious, you're more likely to be anxious. But we don't see that as genetic as much as we do learned. That's what you've been exposed to. If you have if you grew up in an environment where it wasn't okay to express emotions, um, then you're going to learn that that's not okay, and you're going to um, have a more difficult time with that. If you grew up with um, in a family where your parents yelled all the time, you'll probably be more okay with yelling. Right. Where and this is one of the things that's interesting with kids. If you grow up in an environment where you're never exposed to yelling, you're never your parents are very consistent, that sort of thing. That's all wonderful and can help from a developmental point of view. But then if you take that child and you put them into a work environment where they have um, or even a school environment where people are different and they might, you know, be more aggressive or assertive or demanding. Um, then you have a hard time with that. So the whole basis of psychological resiliency is based on the fact that it says the more exposure you have to different environments and you're able to process them in a healthy way, then the more you'll be able to handle a higher a, uh, a broader range of emotions. So that's what I'm saying. Learned behavior is a much learned behavior has a huge impact, especially as a child, on the emotions that you're comfortable with and how you deal with emotions.
0: Can you give us a couple of hardcore examples that you've run into in your practice of how uh, not dealing with emotions properly are manifested in disease? So what I'm saying is you talked earlier about anger impacts the liver. Can you make any connections for us about a disease that may come in part due to anger issues? or other issues that, that impact uh, various organs in the
3: body? So a lot of people who will have liver um, issues tend to, um, tend to have some degree of anger, usually suppressed anger. So we're often looking at emotions that are suppressed. One thing that a lot of people can relate to is if somebody has an aspect of their life that they can't digest... Whether it be a work situation they can't digest, a family situation where they can't um, digest, that will often show up as digestive issues. So especially when you have doesn't doesn't matter the age, but even with young children who will have you know um, IBS type symptoms, irritable bowel syndromes, then that will often be associated with something in their environment that they literally can't digest, and then and then. For a lot of people, it's about making that connection that says when a certain stress happens, then their digestive system acts up on them. If we look at arthritis, one of the um, emotions that are generally associated with arthritis is a person, there will be an aspect of a person's life where they are unable to move freely through their life. Right, because whether or not they're restricted because of their job, they're restricted because of a relationship that, that they're in, they're restricted because of money. So there is generally um, an inability to move freely. So there was in somatic metaphors, there's a mirroring of the symptoms that you have and the condition, um, the symptoms that you have and the emotions that, that that you feel. So then those will happen. People that feel that they're being um, that they can't speak their mind that they are restricted in what they can say will often have throat issues. They will often feel either constriction around their throat or they'll be clearing their throat a lot. They will hold that blockage there. For people that, um, so if you take any emotion, it's going to be held in a certain part of the body. For people that have unexpressed or unprocessed grief, it's usually going to be held in the lung or the heart.
0: Right. <laughs> I find it very fascinating because I can think of so many instances where, you know, just this applies uh, to people that I know, people that are, you know, close to me, because I think you have to understand the context of some of the emotions, but it's a very fascinating area. Now, before we end the show, you're doing a talk next week on a very interesting topic, and I just would like you to, to share another avenue that you're going down in your practice.
3: So another area, so um, next weekend there is a polarity conference in Malville, um, New, New York, and it's called The Renaissance of Polarity, and I'm speaking on the energetics of words and language. So it's taking at um, the emotions to just another um, a deeper level and looking at how a person speaks and the words that they choose um How that also impacts them, especially how when you were talking about diagnoses and things like that, it's like how a person speaks to themselves and the and to other people. There's a huge energetics around that, and it's about really listening to um, to how people do that and the impact it has on their health. So whether or not if people use a lot of negativity, if people are looking at the fact that says you know um, they're if they're talking about, let's say, a, a diagnosis, it's like, what words do they actually use? That's how you know whether or not it's blocking them. You know, if they're saying, you know, I was waiting for this to happen or I was concerned or, you know, um, I don't know what to do. Like, so you're listening for whether or not their language, um, what it's doing to the healing ability of the body. Is it blocking it? Are they stuck or are they moving through something? So it's really looking at, um, yeah, polarity through
0: language. It's interesting now, is this language spoken like the self speak or also language that people use in conversation? Both. Very interesting. The, the
3: energy of words, the flowing of words, um, how a person links their stories together. So if you ask somebody, for example, you know, tell me what happened to your ankle. The story that they tell you is important. So if they start with, I was having a fight with my husband, da-da-da-da-da, that's important. That's part of the story. And it's going to come into play as to, you know, the healing ability of that. Very interesting so, topic.
0: It's, uh, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So if people want to find out more about you
3: and your work, where can they reach you? On my website. Um, so at um, www.naturopathic.com. Foundations with an S. dot ca.
0: Thank you. That's wonderful. I'd like to thank you very much for joining us. Good luck uh, on your talk. If you have anything that uh, you can give us for feedback on how it went, I'd be happy to share it with everybody. But thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Lloyd.
3: Thanks, Kathy. It was a pleasure.
0: Be sure That's next yet. week, everybody, to join us. Our guest will be Dr. Mark Pimentel, and we'll be talking about small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. It is a very relevant topic that a lot of people don't know too much about. So, everybody, do join us next week, and we will talk to you on the Health Hub next week.